Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for this meaningful time of of worshiping you and ministry to your glory. Thank you for the opportunity to minister to one another as we worship you. And I pray that now as we look at your word, your spirit will continue to be our teacher and our hearts would be open and pliable to what you want to say and do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Pity the person who doesn't realize that life is a battlefield and not a rose garden. The concept of battle is a familiar metaphor that Paul uses in his writings in the New Testament. I invite you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1, where we see him using it yet again at the end of this chapter in our study for today. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you might fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered over to Satan so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. Being a consistent Christian or being a biblical church is not an easy job in a world like we live in. It involves a struggle. It involves a battle. It is not automatic. The enemy of our souls is always inventing schemes to sidetrack us, to get us off course with regards to our faith and our mission. But if we will pay attention to what Paul says in these verses to Timothy, we will all know better how to stay on course with our personal lives and with advancing Christ's church and God's purpose in the world. And after all, isn't that what life is all about, really? It isn't about all the things that we get involved in so often. Life is truly about knowing the will of God and serving Jesus Christ and His purpose in the world. We've been talking about the importance of staying on course, and we have said in this first chapter of 1 Timothy that we do that by first knowing the route that God has laid out for us on our navigational chart, verses 1 through 11. And then we stay on course, secondly, verses 12 through 17, by trusting the captain. Today we're going to learn that we stay on course spiritually as long as we maintain our spiritual instruments. There are four of these instruments that God gives to us in our text today. Each one of them has a related question that I've identified with it to help us think through whether we are using these instruments to stay on track in our lives. Now, Paul knew Timothy, of course, to be on track and confidently entrusted to Timothy an important responsibility. On the other hand, Paul knew two men who had failed to stay on track. Their names are Hymenaeus and Alexander. How is it that Timothy stayed on track when there were others who made shipwreck? We'd better pay attention to this because in our world today, it is easier than ever before to wreck the ship of our lives. 
How do we stay on course? By using the four instruments that God exposes to us in the text. The first instrument is that of relationships. Here's the question. In the course of my life, as I am determining the direction that I will take, the values I will hold, what do my godly friends tell me? We do realize, don't we, that having that kind of relationship with others is not optional or peripheral, but that rather it's crucial and central to our staying on course. Paul had that kind of relationship with Timothy. He addresses him as Timothy, my son. Do you see the pathos there? Do you see the the relationship that is involved in those three words? I want to present to you this morning the fact that one of the things that kept Timothy on course in his life was his relationship with the Apostle Paul. In another place he says of Timothy, he is my beloved son in the faith. Relationships are one instrument that God uses to keep us on track in life. We who have believed in Jesus Christ and who are therefore the children of God are made to be interdependent on others. God has made us to be members of the church of Jesus Christ. Not only in the universal sense, we're a part of that church, but he's made us to be members of a local church. You look at any analogy nearly that Paul uses of the church in the New Testament, you see interrelationships as being understood as a part of it. A body, we're members of the body. The temple of God, we are stones that are built together as a holy temple in the Lord. An army, we are soldiers of Jesus Christ who serve a commanding officer. You see, the whole idea of being interdependent is built into the very concepts of who we are in Jesus Christ. Now that runs counter to our American thinking, doesn't it? Because in America we value self-sufficiency and independence. And yet God has called us to be an interdependent people. As the trio sang a few moments ago, we need others who will say to us and to whom we will say, I want you to know I will be a friend to see you through. I will walk the extra mile. We need people like that in our lives. I do. And you do. These relationships must be with godly people, though. Those who have a mindset that is biblical. If we have counselors and friends and relationships with unsafe people who are giving us direction for our lives, that direction will inevitably take us off course. Because those who do not know Jesus Christ, who do not share our values, who do not have the biblical worldview, cannot give us direction. We must have relationships with other believers who are godly people. What is required in order to have this instrument working in, in order in our lives? First of all, the cultivation of these kinds of friends. That takes time. 
That takes time. And that's a big problem. Because most of us think we don't have time for this. But I'll tell you what, we've got time to make shipwreck. And once we've hit the rocks, we'll have time then to have to deal with the tragedies and the sorrows. We'll have time then. How much better up front to make the time in our lives to develop and cultivate godly friends who can serve as one instrument in our lives to help keep us on track. When we've cultivated these friendships, we have to be willing to listen. Now, our friends can't tell us necessarily God's will. We have to weigh what they say in the light of other factors, but we, we must never neglect their input. Be willing to weigh it before God. And then be willing to change when that's appropriate. What do my godly friends tell me? That is an important question to keep us on track. And when our godly friends spot in us an area where we are straying off course, we have to be willing to listen to what they're saying for our own good. Frank Koch, or Cook, K-O-C-H, wrote about an experience of his in Proceedings, a magazine of the Naval Institute. Perhaps you've heard this before. He says, two battleships assigned to the training squadron had been at sea on maneuvers in heavy weather for several days. I was serving on the lead battleship and was on watch on the bridge as night fell. The visibility was poor with patchy fog, so the captain remained on the bridge, keeping an eye on all activities. Shortly after dark, the lookout on the wing of the bridge reported, Light bearing on the starboard bow. The captain called out, Is it a steady light or is it moving astern? The lookout replied, Steady, Captain, which meant that we were on a dangerous collision course with another ship. The captain then called to the signalman, Signal that ship. We are on a collision course. Advise that you change course 20 degrees. Back came the signal, Advisable for you to change course 20 degrees. The captain said, Send, I am a captain. Change course 20 degrees. Back came the reply, I am a seaman second class. You'd better change course 20 degrees. By that time, the captain was furious. He spat out, Send, I am a battleship. Change course 20 degrees. Back came the flashing light, I am a lighthouse. We changed course. We need those lighthouses. And we need to listen when the lighthouse says, you're on a collision course. Are you maintaining this instrument in your life? Do you have godly friends? Do you have somebody to call? You say, well, no, no one's ever come to me and, and established that kind of relationship. That isn't the question. The question is, have you gone to somebody? Have you taken the time? Have you initiated? We need relationships. That's one of the crucial instruments that God gives us to stay on track. A second one is recollection. 
What has God said in the past is the question. Now in Timothy's case, there were some prophecies that had been given regarding him. Whether these were said of Timothy at his ordination or whether they were received by Paul as he contemplated asking Timothy to join his team, we don't know. But this much we know. Timothy knew of these prophecies. He knew what had been said about him. And now Paul says to him, remember what was said about you. Recall, recollect the past leading of God. Someone has said, never doubt the past leading of God. It's easy to second guess, isn't it? It's easy to look back in your life and say, but what if I had done this or done that? When at that time we had made a decision before God that we thought was right. When that's the case, when we in the past have made a decision, when we have sensed God's voice, when we have, have seen God's leading in a certain direction, a wise principle is never doubt God's past leading. That helps keep us on track. The common problem that all of us have, though, is that we're good forgetters. Like somebody said, I never remember a name, but I always forget a face. It's kind of how we are. We have to remember the people of God in the Old Testament had blessing after blessing upon them. But as the psalmist says in Psalm 106, verse 13, verse 13 then they forgot. Then they forgot. That's why some of the men of the Promise Keepers uh, at a meeting in August went over to the backyard next door here and put a, a pile of stones together to remember what God said to them. Peter says to us, stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, which is a way of saying, hey, wake up. You've forgotten something important. And Paul says to Timothy, I remind you to stir afresh the gift of God. We all need reminders. And so when we examine the course of our lives, we have to check the instrument of recall. What has God said to me? Or how has God led me in the past? That will be a part of my staying on course in the present. Are you maintaining a good recollection of, of how God has led in the past? Or have you forgotten God's voice, God's calling in your life? In 25 years of ministry, there's only been one time when I've forgotten that God called me to ministry. And I ask the question seriously, do I want to remain in ministry or go into business? We have to remember how God has led us and what His calling is and allow that to be one instrument, not the only one, but one instrument that will help us determine whether or not we are on course. There's a third instrument. I'm terming it reason. And the question that goes with this is, what does my belief system argue? Paul says that Timothy is to keep a hold of faith. Now, faith here is not the sense in which we sang, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." Faith here refers to Timothy's doctrine, that body of, of truth 
that he believed, his system of belief. Paul says to Timothy, keep a hold of what you believe about God, your faith. What does your belief system argue as you think about the course of your life? Someone has said, God gave us a brain to use, not to play with. Sam Goldwyn said, if I look confused, it's because I'm thinking. Have you ever felt that way? There are two ways for us to slide through life easily. One is to believe everything, and the other is to doubt everything. Because both courses save us from thinking. Underneath the skull in our heads is a key organ that God has put into our bodies. It's called the brain. God expects us to use it. As we think about the course of our lives, God wants us to bring to our minds what we believe about God. What we believe about values, what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about others, what our, what our priorities are. He wants us to think. And as we reason this through, as we argue with ourselves about the right course, as we hang on to what we believe, our belief system, it will be one way that God directs us. We need to keep running the course of our lives through the grid of what we believe to be true. And as we do that, that course will be altered. It will be corrected. Let me give you an example or two of this. One is in Psalm 56, where David shares with us a difficult time in his life. The course of his life was pretty tough. Because he says in verse 1, O oh God, man has trampled upon me. Have you ever felt that way? Like people were walking all over your life? You're a doormat for everybody? David was something like that. He says, fighting all day long oppresses me. He lays before God here his, his concerns. And then, as he does this, he knows that God is compassionate. He says in verse 8, Thou hast taken account of my wanderings. Put my tears in thy bottle. Are they not all in thy book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. And he says, This I know, that God is for me. Now there's his belief system. In the midst of this difficult journey he is on, in the course of his life, what helped David stay on track? It was his recall of God's promise to be with him. He believed that. That was part of his, his instrumentation. And as he argued with himself about what was happening in his life, he said, despite all of these things happening to me, I know this. It's in my brain. God is for me. He's not against me. That's good to remember. It's true for you and me this morning, too. Turn over just quickly to another example in Psalm 73. Here we have Asaph, who is writing. 
and he has a problem. He is looking around him in his day, and he saw that the people who had everything were the ungodly. He could not understand how they prospered. And people who were righteous had so little. And he describes in poetic language what they look like to him. How they bulge and how they, they sit in pride and they, they mock and, and they oppress. And down in verse 15 he says, If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I should have betrayed the children, the generation of thy children. He said, this is so puzzling to me, if I talked about it, I might cause others to be confused. But he says in verse 16, when I pondered to understand this, this perplexing problem, it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived there end, that is the destiny of the ungodly. He was perplexed and confused. But when he thought about what he believed about God, when he remembered what God said, then suddenly everything came into focus, the fog cleared, and he remained on course. He didn't shipwreck because of this problem. Is this instrument working in your life? Are you running the course of your life through your belief system? As you examine your course, let your mind reason and analyze the facts of it all through the grid of what you believe about God, about the world, about values and priorities. This instrument has to be in good working order or we're in trouble. There's a final instrument that is given to us that will keep us on track, and that is what I'm calling resonance. And the question is, what does the voice of conscience say? Because Paul says to Timothy, you must also lay hold of and keep your hands on a good conscience. Milton called conscience the umpire of the soul. Conscience is condensed character. It's what you believe about the values of life, what's right and what's wrong. All of us have a conscience. Part of the fact that we're human is that we are self-aware. That's different than the animals of the world. We are aware of ourselves and we can, we can stand outside of ourselves, as it were, and look at us. We can argue with ourselves, and conscience plays a part in that. Conscience passes judgment on our thoughts, actions, words, emotions, our state of being. Romans 2, verses 14 and 15 says that the conscience will either approve or condemn us. But not all consciences are equal. There is such a thing as a good conscience that knows right and wrong. William Penn said, right is right, even if everyone is against it. Wrong is wrong, even if everyone is for it. There is right and wrong, and the conscience, a good conscience, will expose that to us. But Paul warns in chapter 4 about what he calls a seared conscience, verse 2. A conscience that has lost its sensitivity, that... Uh, has been cauterized, as it were. 
so that it cannot give right and wrong? What is it that, that causes it to be cauterized like with a hot iron? It is that the conscience has been overridden so many times. Someone has said, hearken to the voice of conscience if you would not feel its wounds. And yet it is possible not to listen to the conscience and to override it and to pay no heed to it. And the result of that is that after a while the conscience just gets seared so that it doesn't do its work. Paul says, Timothy, you have to keep a good conscience. You have to keep your conscience in good working order. How do we do that? By bringing our conscience constantly before God. So that when it begins to reverberate and echo a voice inside of us and we hear this resonance, what we hear is good. It's accurate. It's functioning without a glitz in it. Because it's been tested by God's standards of right and wrong and it therefore reflects to us what is true, a good conscience. So these are the instruments that God tells us to maintain. Relationships. We believe in that so much as a church that we've made that one of our key strategies. We believe that if we're going to be a church, we have to have good relationships, supporting, caring groups of people and cells. It's critical. Recollection, remembering, recalling to our minds how God has led in the past, what God has said then. The instrument of reason as we argue with what we believe about God and allow it to test the direction. And then finally, resonance of a good conscience. If these are used, the result will be that, like Timothy, we will get spiritual promotions. We will stay on track and God can entrust more and more and more responsibility to us. But if we abandon these instruments, the result will be shipwreck, like Hymenaeus and Alexander, who were facing discipline from God at the hands of Satan so that they may learn not to blaspheme. Oh, the tragedy of shipwreck. The decision is yours and it's mine as to whether we will use and follow these instruments in our lives. Years ago, an ocean liner sank off the coast of Ireland. Everyone was bewildered because the captain of the ship was known as an excellent seaman. They could not understand how he could stray off course and hit the rocks. So divers were sent down to the ship. They brought up pieces of it, including the compass, to try to determine what had happened. As they examined the compass and opened the box in which it was located, they found inside the box the broken-off tip of a knife blade. What they decided was that some seamen had been cleaning that box and had inadvertently broken off his knife so that the metal tip fell into the compass, causing the compass, however slightly, to be inaccurate. The result was shipwrecked. And there are some of you this morning that may be headed toward the rocks. Will you please avoid that disaster? Will you rescue yourself from discipline? 
Will you listen to your instruments today and change course and receive the blessing of God in your life and know the joy of receiving from God increasing responsibility for His work in the world because your life has been on course. Let's pray. Where's your life, my friend? Are you on a perilous course this morning, headed toward the rocks? Are there instruments in your life that are buzzing alarms, that are flashing lights, that are saying, watch out, watch out? And yet to this point, you've not altered the course. Will you do that right now? Friends have tried to tell you, before God they have tried to tell you, that the direction you're heading is going to lead to disaster. Your conscience has been afflicting you. You know what you believe about God and what He says is right and wrong. What are the important priorities in life? And yet you persist in going the other direction. You remember what God said in the past, and yet now you're going in another direction altogether from how God has previously led. Will you say in your heart right now, Lord Jesus Christ, I see the instruments and I will yield to you. You are the captain of my ship. I have taken the stern, the, the, the wheel, and I have turned it where I wanted it to go. Lord Jesus, you take the wheel. You be my captain again. Will you lift your hand and say, that is today my commitment. I am off course, but I'm giving the wheel to Jesus Christ. Will you lift your hand and say, yes, God bless you. Yes, I see. And God sees, yes. God knows. God knows the issues. God knows the direction you need to go in. Anyone else? That's my commitment, my decision today. I'm giving the wheel to the captain. Yes. Father, before you, these commitments are made, and all of us, all of us look at the instruments in our lives. We can't avoid that. We have to. And we want to pay heed to them. And I pray for these who have acknowledged the wrong course and who are giving you the right to turn the ship. Do it now. And later today and through this week, I pray that as you make those turns, that these brothers and sisters will keep their hands off the wheel and let you direct. Thank you for the instruments that you give us. Thank you for your direction in life. Thank you that we may know your blessing and walk with you and fight the good fight. May all of us do that this week in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand, please? It's good to see Steve and Mary Linetti over here somewhere. There you are.